Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. It's the holiday season and the time of year when decorated trees and festive flowers fill many of our homes. And for some of us, bringing something green from the outdoors inside is actually a year-round experience. Many of us love houseplants. We love taking care of them and seeing them thrive. And we feel terrible when they seem to be suffering and not getting what they need. Houseplants saw a boom in popularity in 2020 when many of us were stuck inside because of the COVID-19 pandemic. In 2021, Americans spent more than $2 billion on indoor plants and accessories. That's up from $1.3 billion in 2019, according to the National Gardening Association. But maybe the houseplants you have need a little TLC. Today, we're listening back to a conversation I had earlier this year about the joy of houseplants and how to keep them healthy. I talked with two experts. Jen Hovland is a florist and horticulturalist. She's the owner of Studio Louise Flowers on Main Street in downtown Stillwater. And I talk with Maria Fayella. She's the author of Growing Joy, The Plant Lover's Guide to Cultivating Happiness and Plants. It was published last June. She also hosts the podcast Growing Joy with Plants, and she joined us from upstate New York. I started by asking Maria about what she loves about houseplants. My journey to houseplants was not what, well, it might be relatable to some of your listeners, but I actually spent most of my life as a really epic plant killer. <gasps> so anyone, <laughs> yes. Yes, um, we can relate. So anyone listening today, whatever weird things you've done to your plants, however many plants you've killed, I've probably done more than that and done weirder things to my plants. Um, I lived in 500 square feet in New York City for 10 years. I used to be a professional musical theater performer. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I was something called plant blind. Um, this is a condition that people, scientists have written about, but it's when, you know, as a society, we've become so disconnected from plants that we don't really see them as living things. Um, you know, if you walk down the street and you don't notice the trees on your street, you know, the same street that you walk on, little things like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, plants ended up begin becoming an amazing uh, way for me to, I don't know if you guys might be able to hear, I have a little baby I'm, bird. I was going to ask, I'm like, am I hearing birds? Okay. He's, yes, I do hear your birds. super excited. Okay. Um, <laughs> chill out. Um, so, um, yeah, so plants, house plants were my way of connecting with nature when I lived in 500 square feet in New York City. I did not have access to green space. I had, you know, five trees on my block, right? There, you know, New York is the concrete jungle. So I feel like plants are a super, house plants are a super accessible way for people to reconnect with nature, but then also reconnect with themselves. And so how did you go from uh, being a, we'll call you maybe a reformed plant killer to someone who now has a book and a podcast about taking care of house plants? How did you uh, gain this knowledge? Yeah, the most unexpected wild ride of my life. Um, <laughs> um, when I, mo I moved in with a boy, I moved in with my husband. So I had spent 10 years, you know, traveling the world as a performer, living in different cities, performing at different theaters. I finally moved in with my husband in New York City, who was my boyfriend back then. And I had this overwhelming urge to nest. And even though I have this horrific history, you know, I say a houseplant graveyard of like 20 or 30 plants in my previous apartments, I thought, okay, I'm going to try one last time, but this time I'm really going to educate myself and I'm mm -hmm. going to learn how to care for these things. And I'm going to Google my way out of plant killerdom. And so and you learned it. 
I learned it. I learned it. Google was my best friend. I'm very lucky that my mom is an amazing gardener. So we started with an herb garden and a few house plants. So I called her like every day. She helped me. Um, and yeah, it was, it's a learned skill. I like to say on my podcast, Growing Joy with Plants, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So you shouldn't feel ashamed if you don't know how to water your plants. Why would you, right? As we're growing, you know, as we're living in these very um, structured communities, I'm going to go give my bird a little okay, treat. Well, so I'm going to talk to Jen for a moment while perfect, you tend to your bird. Okay, right, I'll be okay. right back. A lot going on there. A lot of plants, <laughs> birds. Jen, uh, let's start with you. Like, what do you love uh, about houseplants? Uh, what is it about them that, that brings you joy? Well, you know, like Maria said, it is absolutely that natural connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and living here in Minnesota, where winter is... Long. 11 and a half months long some years, <laughs> um, being able to have some greenery on your windowsill just, mm-hmm. you know, just... It makes a difference. Makes a difference. Right. Absolutely. And uh, I was asking you about the pandemic. And, and, you know, I said the introduction, we've just seen a, a boom in mm-hmm. interest, increase in interest. People are buying more plants, buying right. more accessories. Right. Do you think that has to do with the fact that we have just had to spend more time indoors? Yes, absolutely. Right. A lot of people were isolated in those early months, especially. And, you know, if they were living in an apartment and didn't have access to an outdoor green space, then mm-hmm. the houseplants were a way for them to connect with nature. And also there's something about taking care of something too that's fulfilling. Yes. And how do you describe that, that that interaction? Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I'm um, tending to my own plants, it just brings me kind of joy and brings me into like an inner peace. Mm -hmm. And I think with everything that's going on in the world today, people really need that moment, even if it's two or three minutes in the morning just watering your plants. Right. Yes. And that that constant presence, mm-hmm. which explains why we've heard a couple of people already confess. Mm-hmm. Kathy Worser says, I'm a plant killer. Yeah. Our <laughs> guest Maria's like, I was a plant killer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's hurtful. It's upsetting when yes. a plant dies. Yes, it is. And I, too, have killed plants. Absolutely. Um, but I spin it as a dead plant as an excuse to get a new one. Go out and try something different. And like Maria said, there you know, Google, there's books, there's podcasts, there's all sorts of resources out there that you can learn about plants and mm-hmm. how to care for them. So if you don't have success with your first house plant, go out and try something different. So you've studied horticulture. You're yes. a florist. Mm-hmm. Um, what's a good starter plant for someone who is just starting out uh, with indoor gardening? Mm-hmm. Um, something that is really easy to take care of. What yes. comes to mind, Jen? Like um, if they have a real bright area. Cacti and succulents are great because they don't need a lot of extra care. They mm-hmm. just sit on the windowsill and look pretty. And they are pretty, the yes. variety. And the variety, and they bloom too. Um, oh. So, yes, and just the leaf textures and different markings and variegations on the leaves, it's just really, you can have a whole collection of just succulents. Um, if you don't have that real bright, uh, space in your home, you can also do something like a pothos or a sansevieria. Those are two types of plants that will thrive in lower light levels and are pretty hardy and easy to care for. And what do we need to know about light levels? I think, you know, my house, uh, you know, not a lot of big windows. So mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of the rooms are very dark. So okay. I've not had a lot of success with indoor plants for okay. that reason. So if you are in a, in a home that doesn't have a lot of natural light, yep. those two are where you're starting yes. to, to yep. start with. So there are plants designed for Absolutely. that. Absolutely, yes. A lot of the common house plants are um, considered 
lower light level or bright indirect, uh, which would be like morning sun or, um, a, you know, just a darker space. Mm. So. And is there something, you know, uh, our bodies react to when the clock springs forward and mm-hmm. the clock goes backwards? Mm-hmm. Does that have an impact on houseplants too? Absolutely. The light levels do impact the houseplants. Um, our houseplants will kind of have a dormant period through the winter months just because of the lower light levels. And I'm noticing now March and April that there's some new growth. They're looking a little bit more vibrant. They are reacting to the the more mm-hmm. increased light that we're having. So tell me more about this dormant phase. So a lot mm-hmm. of us may think a plant has died, but actually it's just dormant, yes. right? Well, I don't mean that it's totally looks like it's, right. it's died back, but it's just is the the growth is going to be slower during the winter months. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe doesn't even need as much water as it might mm-hmm. the rest of the year. And Maria, are you back with us? Have you uh, I tended am. to I'm your bird? I'm sorry about okay. that. That's Frankie, fine. Frankie's taking a nap now. Okay. <laughs> so Maria, you write in your book about how uh, wellness is related to houseplants. And, and tell me more about that connection. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also just wanted to say, I loved your question about starter plants. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious if if you found this too. Um, I also find that there are different um, I, I call them plant parent personalities. So it's about <laughs> parent. Yeah, <laughs> I have a whole chapter in my book about this. So just like she said, it's about figuring out your indoor lighting environment and matching the plants for that. But it's also figuring out your personality type and what plants are suited for your personality. Because I feel like a lot of people, um, succulents, for example, are an amazing plant, doesn't need a lot of water. So if you're someone who really only wants to water your plants like once every couple of weeks, maybe you travel, maybe you have little kids, maybe you know, you're know you out of your home a lot, those are great. That's a great opportunity. But if you're a plant parent who wants to be incorporating plants into your everyday life you know, and you try and water a succulent every day, that's yeah. a surefire way to kill it. Um, so it's also about, you know, how do you want to use your plants for your lifestyle and for your experience having them indoors and then picking the right plants associated with, you know, that lifestyle or that in my, in my case, plant parent personality. And I have a whole free quiz on my website that people are welcome to go take and, and get some recommended plants for themselves. And then so th- again, this goes back to education, be aware mm-hmm. of what you're bringing into your home and what it needs. Exactly. And what you need too, right? Because you know, it's about we, we're all bringing houseplants home because we want to live happier, more joyful, more natural, more connected lives, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what they're doing. They're connecting us to nature. They're connecting us to our homes. They're connecting us to our sense of a nurturer. So if the plants aren't doing that and they're making us feel bad because we keep killing them or, <laughs> you know, it's just not a good match, right. then we're not going right. to get that positive benefit. So I just wanted to throw that out there. But um You know, another beautiful thing you said earlier, spending, you know, three minutes with your plants a day. So I'm Mm -hmm. a wellness Mm -hmm. junkie. I have read every self-help book out there. I love a yoga retreat. I love a juice cleanse. I love like anything that is in the (laughs) wellness space. And what I found was after investing thousands of dollars into, you know, therapy, retreats, um, you know, different type of healing modalities, plants ended up being one of the most affordable, simple Mm -hmm. Uh, self-development tools that I had. Um, Because I found that if I dedicated a little bit of time every day, just like you said, you know, it could be as short as one or or two minutes, um, they create space. You know, we're so obsessed with our phones and screens these days. Um, I think many of us go through our entire day without having a moment to ourselves to think own or our own original thoughts. Mm. If we wake up with our cell phone alarms, 
We're clicking that cell phone. We're getting that blue light immediately. We're moving to listening to the radio or to a podcast or to the news. We're moving to our schedule, to our inbox, and then we're closing out our day with Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, or like that's how my life it's, it's tends a, to look. Yeah, a definite mm-hmm. break from some of the other things that you're doing that's actually mm-hmm. gonna gonna feed you in a good way. If you're just joining us, yeah, we're talking about houseplants and, and how we love them and how to take better care of them. Are any of your plants struggling? I'm talking with uh, two guests who know a lot about plants and who can help us out. Uh, let's take a, a phone call from uh, Wyzetta. Melanie is on the line. Good morning, Melanie. What did you want to share with us as we talk about hey, good morning, taking care Angela. of plants? Hi. Hi. Um, so classical music is like really good for your plants. I've been doing some uh, research on it um, because I work on our uh, your classical NPR um, and classical music is it, plants can pick up on the sound waves like um, heavy metal, not good for plants, but classical music, specifically string instrument pieces, really good for your plants. How do you know this? Just from just personal observation? Um, just doing some research on it. There's some scientific studies that have shown that it helps promote growth of of indoor plants. Well, all plants, really, but definitely beneficial for your indoor babies. I love this. Uh, Melanie and Wyzetta, what, have you heard this, Jen, as well, or seen this research that music, classical music can be beneficial to houseplants? Not specifically classical music. I've not read that, but that, it does make a lot of sense. Um, you know, indoors, when our, our houseplants we're creating an environment for them. Um, If they were growing outside, they would be getting rain, they'd be getting sunlight, they'd be getting just wind and air circulation. So I think the science behind the music and and talking to your plants is that you're creating sound waves that are like vibrations that are similar to the air circulation around the plants outdoors. It's like a little massage. A little bit or like exercise for them or something because they're kind of... You know, if they were blowing in the wind, they'd right. strengthen their stems and, and such. Um, so it it does make a lot of sense. I, I, I'm interested. I'd like to read more about it, that there's a, a difference between the classical and the heavy metal. Heavy metal. That's kind of fun. <laughs> yes. Maria, uh, what can you say to this? Uh, have you uh, seen this research, too, that classical music can be beneficial to houseplants? I've seen it. I've also definitely seen those, you know, studies or, you know, the videos of, you know, the schools that put two tomato plants and tell the kids to yell at one and the kids mm-hmm. to speak kindly to another. And, you know, that that can be done with apples or plants or a multitude of things. And I think, you know, it all, it all boils down to there. We are so much more similar to plants than we think we are. You know, we all we breathe just like plants do. We have DNA just like plants do. We have water and fluids running up and down our bodies like they do. Plants are very sensitive things. And because they're rooted and they can't run away from, you know, aggressors, they actually have to be more sensitive and more savvy than humans who can run away from something that's trying to eat them, right? So I think to me, it makes sense that, you know, they would be finely tuned to music for sure. Mm -hmm. All right. uh, Let's talk uh, more to our listeners who have questions. We have two phone calls here about the same kind of plants. I want to take these back to back. Uh, First, we've got Joe here in St. Paul. Good morning, Joe. And what did you want to ask uh, about a plant that that you have at home? Good morning. Um, I have a fiddle leaf fig that is scraping the ceiling. And I'm wondering how I can pull the the node on the top of the plant safely without hurting the fiddle leaf fig. A fiddle leaf fig. Uh, I Wow, I don't know this, this plant. Um, uh, Maria, what do you know about the yes. fiddle leaf fig? 
You, you, you would know it if you see it. I say it's one of the most Instagram famous plants you've ever seen. It's the plant that looks like a tree indoors, and it's actually called fiddly fig, Latin name ficus lyrata, um, because the leaves are so large, they look like a violin or a fiddle's body. So congratulations to you if your plant is growing to the top of your ceiling, because this is a notoriously finicky plant. Um, it often loses its leaves. It's sensitive to draft. It needs so much more light than most people give it. So congratulations to you. If it's grow, <laughs> if it's growing to the top of your ceiling, I would say you mentioned the node. I would say you could give that tree a prune at the top. Um, go down like five or six leaves from the top of the plant, cut it and make a stip, uh, a tip cutting. So, you know, cut it right below that node, remove those bottom couple of leaves, stick it in water or put it in soil, and you'll make a second fiddly fig for yourself. You can either, you know, plant it in the bottom of the pot, you could put it in a new pot, gift it to someone, put it right next to it, you know, have the mom and the baby plant next to each other. Um, But I would say, you know, those plants are vigorous growers. And if you cut it off at the top, it might shoot out more lateral growth. Mm. Uh, another caller has a question about a fiddle leaf fig fern. This is Tanya in Minneapolis. Hi, Tanya. Uh, go ahead with your question. Hi. Um, thanks for having me. I am not nearly as lucky as your previous caller. I have a fiddle leaf fig that we adopted as a pretty big um, plant, and we brought it into our apartment, and it started losing um, leaves from the bottom up. Um, and it's now to the point where it has probably, I don't know, I'd say maybe 12 leaves left at the top. And my question is, uh, have we failed? <laughs> so, um, is I... it salvageable? You okay. know when you just have to get rid of a plant. Okay, so you're having problems with your fiddle leaf fig. Uh, Maria, what would you say to her? Yeah, what, can I ask, um, what type of light do you have it in? So we have it um, next to the window. It gets morning light. So, okay, got it. So, number one, you did not fail. This is so normal. This happens. I've had, I've, so many listeners that have written me in about this plant because you see it in all the magazines, you bring it home and then it uh, it doesn't like transition. It doesn't like moving. So if it was already an established plant, you moved it into your home. Maybe it caught a draft when you moved it. Maybe there's a draft near your window. Um, it's normal for it to lose its leaves. Um, so don't worry. You're not alone. You're not a bad plant parent. These things happen. Um, I say normally what I find, um, and I don't know if Jen has anything else, but usually these plants need more light than you think you're giving them. Um, if it's only getting morning light and then it's, you know, get, not getting afternoon light, it probably needs more light. If you have a sunnier window, you could put it in. I also put mine under a grow light, um, so that, you know, it gets eight hours of, of, of grow light of light a day and grow lights are just, light bulbs or lights that mimic the sun that you can put on timers to ensure that your plants get enough light. Um, So I would say it's probably a light thing. And I would also say just make sure if it's near a window that it's not too drafty because the plant, it's, Mm. it's a sensitive little, it's a dainty little flower. (laughs) So you, sometimes you just need to tweak it a little bit. 
So the, this lighting question, I think, can apply to lots of plants. It, it, can it be a significant thing if you have a plant that's not doing well just to change its location in your home? Can absolutely. that make a big difference, Jen? Yes, absolutely. You know, to our eyes, a bright room seems bright all the way across the room, but there is a huge difference if you were to take a light meter and put it right against the window versus putting that light meter 10 feet into the room against the the wall. Mm-hmm. There is a huge difference in the quantity and the the quality of the light. So moving a plant to a brighter location absolutely can help. And I hadn't thought about the draft because that's that's an issue here. That's huge in Minnesota, especially, I think. Yes. Right. Um, Okay. Let's take uh, another phone call uh, as we talk about houseplants. How are they doing in your home? Do they need some help? Uh, This caller is in Minnetonka. This is Connie on the line. Good morning, Connie. What is your question or what do you want to share? Yes. Hi. Um, I have a hibiscus Mm-hmm. That is probably 10 years old, wow. and it was just beautiful, of course, when I had it at first, and I had kept it outside. Um, I moved probably four years ago, have it in a sunroom, and I go away periodically for a couple of weeks at a time in the winter and come home, and it looks like it's been dried up or frostbit or something. So I cut it back, and it's just not bloomed at all for the last couple of years. Mm. And so you're wondering what will will bring the the blooms again or will, might it bloom yeah. again? Okay. Yeah. Um, what do we know about the hibiscus? Uh, anything you can and share with her, Jen? Well, the hibiscus, yeah. If you're bringing that in for the winter, it's likely going to lose some leaves. Um, it's a tropical plant. Again, we've talked a little bit about the lower light levels here in Minnesota and the potentially the cooler temperatures near your windows. Um, if you are cutting it back um, in the sp- early, late winter, early spring, um, you're likely cutting off the nodes that w- would produce the flowers. So um, that plant does bloom on new growth and or on old growth, I'm sorry. So if you're cutting that back, um, you're likely just cutting the flowers buds off. Mm. Uh, anything you would add to that, Maria, on how to, to, to save her hibiscus and maybe see it bloom again? Uh, I, I, I second Jen, actually, there. I, I don't have a lot of experience with that plant, but I know that if it has if it needs a lot of light outdoors, it's also probably definitely not getting the light that it needs mm-hmm. indoors. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jen, would you say she should just let the plant grow in now and kind of establish that newer growth and let it kind of establish itself again before yes, it'll probably yeah. bloom? Yep. Probably mm-hmm. needs another year. My uh, situation at, at work, I, I posted a photo of a plant <laughs> I have on my desk an orchid uh, a year ago, just before my birthday, someone gave mm-hmm. me an orchid and it was pretty. And I was like, sat in the moment because I, it's just going to die. I have never <laughs> kept an orchid alive, but um, it it is still alive. Like I, I, it was placed by a window, lots mm-hmm. of light. It, I guess, it went dormant. The you know the blooms went away, mm-hmm. but the leaves remain green like yes. all winter. I don't think I watered it. Maybe mm. I don't, I'm not even sure. I just mm-hmm. know I came into work a couple of months ago mm-hmm. and there was a bloom, and now the blooms have exploded. That's and wonderful. I was so happy because I yeah. I thought you know the only reason I didn't toss it I thought many times I had to throw it away because mm-hmm. I couldn't get to it <laughs> easily. <laughs> and then she came back. So mm-hmm. uh, orchids, you know, we see a lot of them for sale. They're yes. often given as gifts. Yes. What do we need to know, Jen, first about taking care of an orchid? Yes. Um, so an orchid actually, uh, usually I recommend that you have it on a pretty regular watering schedule, although that doesn't sound like what you did. So the light levels must have been, it, it was nice. just happy right in mm-hmm. that place. 
So that's wonderful that you got it to bloom again. They do bloom fairly easily, kind of on a routine care of regular watering and rural bright bright light. But the um, orchids, the Phalaenopsis orchids that you're talking about that um, are commonly sold everywhere, mm-hmm. Um you know, big box stores, grocery stores, florists, everywhere, everywhere. everywhere. Um, Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, They are epiphytes. They grow up in the tree canopy in uh, a rainforest and they are, uh, they don't need soil. They kind of just hang out in the nooks and crannies of the tree. There's very little uh, dirt underneath it. I can almost see kind of like the roots. It's probably Uh, being grown in bark or in some moss or something. So there's no dirt in there. Um, But they're they're used to that kind of dappled light that they would get through the tree canopy. So Mm -hmm. just real bright light, but nothing hot and direct in the the afternoon or anything like that. So little water or just like, because, you know, they regularly come with that little... Yep. instruction that says just throw an ice cube on yes. it which is and, weird and i disagree that? with that i yeah. think the science no behind that cubes. yeah no ice cubes <laughs> they're they're tropical plants they don't like cold that doesn't make for sense one thing. right and it's not enough water for the plant um i think the science behind it, it they do like a lot of extra humidity mm-hmm. and so i think the idea was that that evaporating ice cube would provide a little bit of humidity for the plant um but really they that's not ideal for them maria speak to that that advice about like just throw an ice cube on it once a week because you see that frequently on the tags that come with an orchid yeah it makes me cringe the just add ice orchids um i think in general with house plants you know obviously we're putting them in these conditions that are so not like their conditions outdoors there's Mm -hmm. heat there's air conditioning there's so much less light indoors than there are indoors right and it's our job as houseplant parents to, to the best of our ability, mimic, you know, how they're getting their water and their nutrients outdoors inside. So that's, you know, watering thoroughly. So when you think about it, your plants get a rainfall, they don't get too little dribbles of water, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So an ice cube is not enough volume of water for that plant. And also, if you think about it, just like Jen said, orchids grow on trees in the jungle, right? Mm -hmm. There's no freezing water. There's no freezing water in the jungle for these orchids to get. So the fact that you're putting this cold ice cube on their roots directly because they're not planted in soil, their roots are exposed, just like you said, um, it's just so uncomfortable for those roots. I'm mad for all the orchids who have had to endure ice cubes. I'm just angry right now. And and no shame, no shame. I mean, I know tons of people will say, I've been, you know, watering my orchid with an ice cube for 30 years and it blooms for me twice a year and it's great. You know, no shame, no, no shade. Um, but you know, just if you if you sit and think about it for a minute, it's not it's not ideal for the mm-hmm. plant for right. sure. And I don't know why that is such a commonly practiced thing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It often comes with the instructions. I, I want to acknowledge uh, some photos here on Twitter. Uh, this person is writing to me. J.K. posted some photos, and it's it's a good question about house plants sharing homes with pets. Cats and dogs, okay? And in this case, JK says, a friend gave me a prayer plant. My cat chewed on it uh, some, and now it looks alive but not thriving after five months. So uh, what do we need to know, um, first, Maria, about houseplants and maybe cats, for example? Um, because, you know, bad things can happen either way. Some plants can may- maybe be poisonous and, and, you know, plants can obviously suffer if they're chewed on. What do you want people to know about that? Yeah, this is such an important topic to discuss because I know like 80% of my podcast audience has pets along with plants. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense, right? Because if you like taking care of pets, you probably like taking care of plants as well. Um, 
there are a multitude of houseplants that are toxic for our pets, primarily dogs and cats. ASPCA is a great resource for toxic plants. The prayer plant, to my knowledge, is not toxic. So you're okay over there. Um, but if you have, you know, plants like the Monstera, poinsettia, very toxic. Um, so it's always good if you if you have pets that do nibble on your plants, um, you know, make sure that you're bringing non-toxic plants home. I've heard of lots of great, I have multiple episodes on this topic on my show because I learn a lot from my listeners because I only have a little bird. As you've heard, I don't have <laughs> dogs or cats. Mm-hmm. You can spray like apple cider vinegar on your on your plant leaves that apparently the pets don't like the taste of it. I have listeners who put river rocks in the bottom of their pots so that their cats don't go digging in them because their paws, mm-hmm. they don't like the feeling of the river rocks on the bottom. Um there are some great products like on Amazon that you can buy sprays that will deter your your pet from chewing on them. Um, but, you know, also think about it. Our plants in nature, they get chewed on by tons of stuff, right? So as long as your prayer plant is growing new leaves, um, as those new leaves come in, you can probably trim off the ones that are chewed. I would say leave them so they can still photosynthesize for the plant and help it grow. Um, until the new the new leaf comes in, but maybe you know put that prayer plant in maybe a little bit more light so it can get a little bit more juice um, as it grows in. But you should be fine. Um, and and Jen, what are some of the common questions that you get as people come into your store asking about? Uh, well, I've got a cat or I've got a dog. What do people need to know about having pets and house plants? Um, yeah, the most common question is probably about plant toxicity. So it's always important to kind of research the plant that you're looking at. And um, there's uh, web resources and, um, you know, any specific, if you look up the specific So ask, specific know what you're plant. bringing into your absolutely. house. Absolutely. Right? Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. And so with, with cats, uh, what's the deal with cats and plants? I, I don't have cats. Uh, yeah. They they like the leaves sometimes? I don't like, I don't grow cats either. But, uh, <laughs> um, um, I love cats, but I, I don't have one at home. So they're just, I think they're just curious little animals and just mm-hmm. curious about the plants. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And then um, the remedies, again, you know, Maria was saying some mm-hmm. things can just be a deterrent. So you don't yes. have to worry about it. Yes. That works. Yes. You've seen that work. Yeah. Okay. And, and as we talk about leaves too, uh, should I be like sometimes like wiping the leaves mm-hmm. or anything I need to know about leaf care? Yes. yes. Especially those really broad leaves. Um, it's a good idea just to wipe them down with um, a damp cloth or a paper towel or something. What does um, that do? It just is removing the dust off of the plant so that they can better photosynthesize. So receive the sunlight mm-hmm. and Absolutely. it's better for them. And yeah. Leaf care, yeah. Maria? Yeah, it's like putting, you know, a sheet almost on top of your plants where where you see green is where the the um photosynthesis is happening and plants eat light. Mm-hmm. They don't eat nutrients. So when you mm-hmm. use plant food, that's giving micronutrients and macronutrients to help the plant sustain itself, but it's the light that helps the plant survive. Mm-hmm. Um so Mm. Yeah. So a uh, leaf care and in the spring, we're perfect. You know, you might not feel it we're over where you are or me because I'm in the woods in the Catskills. Spring <laughs> is here. There is more light availability. So there are a bunch of things in the spring that you can do to kind of do a little spring cleaning for your plants and cleaning the leaves down is definitely one of them. I also love to put my plants in the shower once mm-hmm. a season. Um, and I'll actually mimic, you know, a real rainfall so that the water covers the whole plant. It'll drip, you know, the dust will drip off, obviously. But also if there are any pests that maybe be high, you know, that maybe the pests are hiding under the leaves, um, 
maybe there's just like something weird in your heating system that has gotten on the plants. It's nice to give them like a thorough soak once a quarter Mm -hmm. um, to also resaturate the soil if the soil has dried out and become hydrophobic. That um, makes so me happy. You, a rainforest party in the yes. tub. Yes. Put your bathing suit on, you know, <laughs> hop in, have some fun with your plants, um, you know, in the shower. But it can be really wonderful, especially in the winter with all of our dry heating. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the soil dries out too much. And then when you water, the soil just doesn't absorb the water. So a shower is a great way to rehydrate your soil as well in prep for all the growth that is going to come in for the spring. And Jen, I see you nodding. Yes. 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 Um, and I, I heard Maria use the, the term hydrophobic. And uh, I just want to expand on that a little bit. Um, sometimes our plants um, get too dried out. And then that soil is so dry that it's kind of almost like a, a flash flood when you water with a watering yeah. can. And it just goes it's straight across the top and straight down absorb. the side. Right. It's not that. absorbing. So if you ever encounter that, a really good uh, remedy for that is to bottom soak those plants. And you can fill your bathtub or a sink or a small dish, depending on the size of and quantity mm-hmm. of plants. Fill them with water, set the pot in the water, and let it hydrate all the way up until the, the soil surface feels moist. And then it kind of drinks it up like a straw, and you know that that entire root ball is fully hydrated. Uh, bottom watering, one of my favorite things to do. Super fun to do with kids. You can teach them about capillary action because mm-hmm. you put that pot in the dish of water and you slowly over a few hours see the dish of water, you know, the level of the water go so low into the plant. It's just a fun activity to do with Mm -hmm. your kids. In Fargo, North Dakota, uh, Tom is on the phone. Hi, Tom. And what did you want to share with us about houseplants? Hi. Hello. Hello. Uh, First time, long time. Um, Hey, I I have a little bit of a uh, more of a unique house plant that I like to care for. My partner and I have a bunch of different types of house plants, but mm-hmm. um, I've found some enjoyment in the carnivorous variety. Mm. So I have some Venus flytraps, some pitcher plants, some sundew. Um, and I was wondering if the experts could just maybe recommend some easier ones to the folks out there and what you need to grow the carnivorous plants indoors in the winter um uh, Tom, the i have a question you can put them outside yeah, yeah. Uh, what's your why do you like that like the the fly traps and the car- carnivorous plants what, what do you like about them what's the appeal uh they're really cool they're very interesting um and the different types i mean the fly traps you know i mean what's not to like about those <laughs> but the pitcher plants are are really really interesting too because you can watch the you can actually watch the bugs go down the pitcher plants and they just can't get out. And they do great in the spring and summer outside too. So um, they're just, they're just really cool plants. Very interesting. Okay. Um, And Maria, anything you could add to that about taking care of uh, something like a a fly trap, a Venus fly trap, other carnivorous plants? Yeah. You know, I actually did a whole interview on my podcast about carnivorous plants because they're, a whole subsect of the houseplant community. Um, <laughs> they require completely different care. Um, but a hit, an a issue that a lot of people in the houseplant community has is fungus gnats and pests. And what people don't understand is keeping a couple of carnivorous plants in your plant collection can be a great way to mitigate a lot of pest outbreaks that you experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our, our listener is making a great point saying that... Um, 
there are better beginner plants for carnivorous curious people. Um, mm-hmm. The Venus fly, flytrap isn't necessarily the starter plant, even though that's the plant we all know about because of the musicals that have been written about it. Um, but sundews are a great option, um, especially also if you're trying to mitigate uh, fungus gnats, which a lot of people struggle with. Um, sundews, and also I remember our guest recommended Mexican butterworts. Mm-hmm. Um, these aren't plants that I own personally and care for, but I know that, you know, with, with carnivorous plants, you're dealing with distilled water, you're dealing with growing in peat moss or some sort of um, very low in nutrient substrate. Um, and frankly, you can go listen to that episode of my podcast because I, I can't, I can't educate mm-hmm. very much beyond that. Maybe Jen has some tips. Um, anything you want to add about uh, carnivorous plants, Jen? Um, yeah, they, they're moisture loving and yes. high humidity. humidity. So mm-hmm. they do need, do require some special care. Right? Uh, I want to um, share something um, someone shared with me. Uh, this is Patrick and Patrick posted some photos. Patrick writes, um, Angela, this is a photo of me at grandma's house, the late 1990s <laughs> with her, uh, okay, so am I pronouncing this right? Pothos in yeah. the corner? Yes. Okay, yeah. there's a plant in the corner. Mm-hmm. Um now that she has passed away, I have the opportunity to stay connected with her by continuing to care for her plant. Mm-hmm. Isn't that sweet? Yes. Uh, yeah. Pothos is one of the, uh, a very long lived plant and very easy to propagate. And so you can take stem cuttings from it and root it in water or in soil and pass it along to other family members. I have a lot of people that will come into my shop and say that they have that very same plant. Oftentimes it's gifted at a funeral, mm. or it is something that um, grandma or grandpa may have grown and they've taken from the home and it just, it lasts forever. Wow. It just grows and grows and grows. As we think about wellness and connection, mm-hmm. that's something, Maria, yes. that some plants can live that long. Right. Yeah, I call them heirloom plants. Mm. Um, I have so many listeners who write in with the most amazing stories about just that, you know, my grandma had this plant, I grew up knowing this plant, and then I inherited it. Mm-hmm. And just like Jen said, they're so easy to propagate. And so you can propagate, you know, make 10 mini cuttings and share those cuttings with your friends. Your friends will grow those plants. They will then propagate and gift those plants away. And it's like this beautiful, magical spider web of kindness, you know, across maybe your town or maybe farther. Um, but it's really beautiful. And I do think plants are very emotional for people. When you think about gardens, when you think about house plants, people usually have, you know, when I interview people for my show, everybody has a memory of their grandparent or some neighbor that used to welcome them into their garden mm-hmm. um, and, you know, some beautiful childhood memory and connection. So there's so much more than just, you know, little pretty green things in a pot in the corner in our, you know, living room. Um, and I have a written comment related to this. Uh, Chris from North Dakota called in earlier to say um, she still has her great grandfather's mm-hmm. plants, her great grandfather. Wow. And she is 66 and says in her family, they pass along plants and says it feeds mm. her soul to see all of these plants from her yeah. family what members. A, it's what, incredible. Wonderful That's nice. connection. Okay, uh, another phone call. And Edina, Amanda is on the line. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for taking my call. I do a thing where I overwinter plants, I bring in my garden plants and try to keep them alive all winter so that I can put them back out in the spring. And I've had pretty good success with this, except that it feels like about this time of year, the plants that have been doing fine all winter just start to fade and wilt. I have a sun patient that's doing that, and I have one or two others that do that. And I've noticed this the last few years, and I'm not sure what I'm doing wrong. Should I change what I'm doing this time of year? Are they just, like, fed up with the winter and they're ready to get outside like the rest of us? 
I I'm think, not sure what I should do. Okay. Um, um, I think, Jen? yeah, mm-hmm. um, I think I, I do the same thing with a lot of my plants um, in the garden. I bring them in in the fall and they sit in a sunny space. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, our plants during the winter months when the, the temperatures are cooler and the lo- light levels are lower, they do kind of have, they don't die back, but they kind of go a little bit more dormant. And so your plants are reacting to the increased light that we have outside now, and they are probably growing a little bit more vigorously. You may not see that to your eye, but they are kind of gearing up for the spring and summer. And so I would try just increasing the water mm-hmm. frequency a little bit um, for those plants because they are, are growing more. Anything you would add, Maria? No, I think Jen mm-hmm. hit it on the hit it on the head. Okay, and our final minutes here. A question: uh, This uh, weekend, um, Easter Sunday is coming up. Uh, a lot of people will be giving the gift of flowers mm-hmm. of plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, any advice on how to keep these uh, these house plants? You know, many of them who are, that are flowering right now. How do we keep them looking healthy for as long as possible? These Easter uh, plants that may people may be thinking of giving because they're in stores everywhere right now. Right, Jim? right. The hydrangea is very popular yeah. for Easter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a plant that needs a lot of moisture. So keep it in a real bright li- location and evenly moist watering. Mm-hmm. Yep. Maria, the plants we're seeing in stores right now that will uh, be very popular in the next few days. Yeah, water and light, baby. <laughs> Give it water, water and light. Um, don't overwater it. You know, use your finger. Make it a mindful moment to touch the soil. Really feel if it's damp, if it's cool, um, or if it's you know dry um, and and light. And you know, start getting those plants. We're gifted. You know, the hydrangea, the Easter lilies. All of these plants want to go outside. They're not really designed to be houseplants. So, you know, you're kind of just holding that plant indoors until it's warm enough, uh, warm enough to bring them outside. I like to say we're all experiencing gardeners itch right now, which is we know spring is here. We know the warmth is coming, but you know, with our climates, we can't quite get gardening yet. So everybody's super itchy, you know, mm-hmm. to get outside and get growing. And I do, as we transition into this, this, this frenzy with this, the spring planting mm-hmm. outside, let's not forget about the houseplants. Anything right. to, does that yes. happen too, that we yes. kind of maybe, yes. Don't Absolutely. take as good care of them. Yeah, as in soon the as it's nice outside, I'm outside, oh. and I kind of sometimes forget about those house plants. So just be mindful of, of mm-hmm. checking in yeah. on them as well. <laughs> I'd love to say, um, you know, I have a in my book. I talk about making a self care plant care routine. And in the morning, if you can take ten minutes a day for yourself, put your phone down, take your coffee. And just do a little inventory with your plants. You know, it's time for yourself. Take some deep breaths. Maybe do a breathing exercise. Maybe you're watering. Maybe you're inspecting those leaves. Maybe you're wiping the leaves. Maybe you're pruning a yellow leaf. Uh, maybe you're celebrating a new leaf growth that's come in. Mm-hmm. A fenestrated, you know, a fenestrated leaf on your monstera or a new fiddly fig leaf, you know. Um, but try and incorporate, you know, mindfulness into your plant care routine and it'll make it a little bit more sustainable and feel like less it. of a chore. I love yeah. it. We've been listening to a conversation I had earlier this year about houseplants. My guests that day were Jen Hovland, a florist. She's also the owner of Studio Louise Flowers on Main Street in downtown Stillwater. And I talked with Maria Faella. She's the author of Growing Joy, the plant lover's guide to cultivating happiness and plants. She also hosts the podcast Growing Joy with Plants. 
This conversation was produced by Maya Backstrom. Be safe, everybody. We'll talk again tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m. 